Chris Papas is the only Democratic Alliance mayor in the whole of KwaZulu-Natal. He's the mayor of Umgeni Municipality, which has around 120,000 people and is situated in the KZN Midlands. But that's not the only unusual thing about Papas. He is young, white, and openly gay, and he was just recently announced as the DA's premier candidate for the whole of KwaZulu-Natal based on his successful run to become mayor of Umgeni. Papas became an international news story this year when he was announced as one of the international magazine Time's 100 Next Leaders to Watch. And as soon as he was announced by the DA as their candidate for premier in the next election, he was immediately subject to highly publicized and widely publicly engaged with allegations, serious allegations, about alleged corruption involving municipality budgets and his ex fiance So, in this exclusive interview, I ask Papas about those exact corruption allegations. I ask him how he became mayor of Mgeni, almost in spite of being from the Democratic Alliance, considering the DA's reputation and history in the region. I ask him about his campaign for Premier, and I ask him what it's going to take for the IFP and the DA in his vision to unseat a potential EFF-ANC coalition in KZN, particularly because he's pretty confident that they'll be able to do it, despite the DA never even getting close to 20% of the vote in KwaZulu-Natal before. Welcome to The Issue with Dan Corder. It's South Africa's watch party because we all know that South Africa is a movie. So come watch it with us. As always, every episode is available on podcast, on Spotify and Apple Music, whatever your preference. And you can watch the video episode on YouTube by searching The Issue with Dan Corder. Lastly, as always, wherever you're listening from, I would so appreciate if you clicked follow or subscribe on whatever platform because it costs you nothing but a second of your life while listening and it makes a huge difference to our ability to keep the lights on and keep developing the show together. Thanks so much. Let's dig into it. This is The Issues exclusive interview with Chris Papas. Chris Papas, you have to wear a beanie and there's no point explaining it. Just know that Hundreds of thousands of people online will be upset if you don't. So you can pick from the core cast or one of these on the table, but you have to wear one. I've decided I'm going to go with this one because uh, it looks festive Yeah, um, going into Christmas. So yeah, Christmas is coming. I'm sorry, it is a fleece line beanie. So if you get a bit hot. If I start sweating, it's not because the questions are hot. <laughs> it's definitely not. But you're welcome to take it off if you want to. Ah, you look good. Reminds me of Splashy Finn all over again. Were you a big... Okay, for those of you who were not raised in the rock and roll or the just outrageous jawling in a mountain in the rain scene, were you big at Splashy Finn? I might still be big into Splashy Finn. Really? I love it. It's just up the road from where I stay, so it's always nice to run away. Um, no signal there. This reminds me of, was it the Finnish ex-prime minister who were, who basically went to EDM Festival Jaws? Good for him. I like having a normal person who wants my vote. That's good. Yeah, I, th- I think I started there. I, I worked as for Sedgwick's. Oh, wild. Um, and they were introducing something new. They were mixing um, Old Brown Sherry <laughs> with... Uh, they were trying to like make it cool. So they were mixing it with ginger ale and all sorts of things. But you know at festivals when you are promoing, yeah. you drink as much as you promo. You have to. It makes you better at your job. Uh, I mean, I sold so much Sedgwick's. <laughs> I don't know if I sold it. I gave it away in the end. I think we probably got fired. But... Um, yeah, it was a lot of fun. I love 
sherry and it's i think it's so besmirched because it's seen as an old person's drink and it's actually one of the few drinks that can make you warm on a cold night which is good it's sophisticated <laughs> chris papas thank you so much for joining us i think it's very fair to say that as little as maybe four months ago tens of millions of south africans had never heard your name and then your story became world famous you were, i think time 100s one of your uh, one of their big next leaders to watch in the whole world uh, and you were then made the premier candidate for the democratic alliance in kwazulu natal you are a mayor of a small municipality in rural kwazulu called umgeni please tell us for those who don't know what is umgeni like so umgeni is known as the kwazulu midlands um It's a small little towns, Howick, Hilton, Nottingham Road, um, dairy farming, timber, and as of last week, we are a UNESCO um, city of heritage, um, cool. one of three in South Africa. So yeah, it's a small little community, 120,000 people. Um, just That's not that small, actually. I mean, 120,000 isn't like enormous, but it's 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 sizable. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean, we're not we're not minute. Um, we're just outside Peter Maritzburg. So if you driving out of Maritzburg towards Joburg. Um, we're one of the little towns on the way. Okay, excellent. So you're the mayor there. And it was a bit of a province-wide shock, as far as I understand, when you won the mayorship in 2021. Is that right? 2021? November, yeah. November 2021. Because was that then suddenly the only DA-run municipality in the province? Yeah, it was the first and the only. So still the only. Still the only. Um, the province is largely dominated by ANC and IFP-run municipalities. So we have got a footprint as the DA there. We've got um, a lot of councillors, um, but never enough to run a municipality. And you seem to have done quite well uh, in the last two years. There have been some really lovely reviews. Um, I have a friend whose parents live in one of the locations around Umgeni, and they say they see you on the streets. They see you trying to solve problems. But, I mean, at the same time, as soon as anybody does well anywhere, there is a political response and backlash. And there have been lots and lots of back and forths with you, and particularly the African National Congress. And then uh, the DA chose for you to be their candidate for premier of the whole of KwaZulu-Natal. And And that's where the YouTube comment section is going to light up on this video because immediately it was extraordinary. I've seen a lot of instant political attack campaigns, but within 24 hours, you were being accused of grand nepotism and corruption. And I'm only uh, speaking about this now because this is still one of the greatest things associated with your name. And so I just want to deal with it. So as far as I can understand, and I'm going to allow you to correct me or say your piece in a second, as far as I can understand, uh, in 2020, your um, ex-fiance was the uh, maybe head of an organization called Mgeni Tourism. Mm -hmm. And in 2022, the Mgeni municipality gave 100,000 rand to Mgeni Tourism. Is that right? Story and then I'll, yeah, I'll yeah. Here. Great, because that's so the prevailing narrative, and it came from a former DA head who's now in the ANC, and then a bunch of let's be fair, Twitter slash X accounts that didn't have any sources; they just said things. Uh, but the allegation was that there was pretty classic grand nepotism there. And what was your defense? So the organization that it's called in Guinea Tourism, like you said, it's a it's a community tourism organization. They exist all over the country, registered as MPOs and have to go through all of that. It had an existing relationship with the municipality where they were getting, I think it's 10,000 rand every single month. There's three of them in our municipality. That's for tourism development, marketing, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that's what they, they did. Um, so the contract or the MOU with them existed long before I was the mayor. 
uh, my ex-fiance was not appointed but elected because they're NPOs. So he was elected by the community at that time. I wasn't the mayor. I wasn't involved in the local council either. And then he climbed the ranks and he became the chairperson and that's what he was he was doing. In mm, Actually, before November 2020, um, there, there was an idea to hold an event called Light Up Umgeni, which is basically a lights festival around the Christmas period. And they made a request to, for the municipality to assist, um, like we had assisted all the other community tourism organizations, and they asked for 50,000 rand, not 100. They asked for 50,000 rand for tents, sound systems, all the other things that go with the festival. Uh, and the municipality paid 50,000 rand to Umgeni Tourism for those sorts of things. So there never, was never a payment of 100,000 rand, first of all. Um, it was to the organization and not to a company or an individual. The other thing that they claim is that his company apparently benefited from that. The company that they talk about was only registered in August 2023. So they claim it benefited in, in December 2022, but it right. didn't even exist at the time. Okay. Um, what else is there around the issue? Um, I declared my interests. Um, so, so as to say, if they, because I knew they were receiving 10,000 rand prior to my becoming mayor, I declared my interest with the municipal manager and the speaker, and I said, this organization receives money from us. Uh, he was a volunteer. He didn't get paid to work there, uh, like all the other people on the board and who volunteered. And they proceeded to, to host their event. That same event was also sponsored by the provincial government who gave, mm. I think it was 200,000 rand to that event. ANC led at the time? ANC, ANC led provincial government, gave um, 200,000 rand also to help run that. And then there was sponsors. Uh, there was a big uh, timber company that gave 100,000 rand. There was um, a couple of supermarkets. So it was I mean, well, a well-sponsored event. Um, we were a very, very small contributor to the event. And yeah, so the... The source wasn't actually the former DA leader. The DA leader took it off of um, off of Facebook. That's okay. where it started, off, okay. off one of these accounts. Um, the account has no, you can't trace it. And when you ask for evidence, no evidence is provided. So, you have been reported yeah. to the public protector. Has anything happened there? Yeah, so the public protector, when things are reported, they're supposed to investigate them. They came and they asked for the documents that are already made public. They were public already. Okay. Um, but I shared them again, compiled them. Um, everything from our payment records as a municipality to my disclosure of interest to uh, the municipal manager and the speaker, the council, not the council resolution, the committee resolution. So the request or the business plan came to one of the committees and get economic development. And that's where it was put forward. So one of the other accusations was that there was never a record of what this money was going to be spent on. Sure. It was just that councillors didn't read their agendas. Um, so there was a full, it was actually two two business plans um, okay. on consecutive meetings. Um, so yeah, uh, the public protector came, we gave them the documents, we haven't heard back yet. Um, and the other p people that came was the Department of Cooperative Governments and Traditional Affairs. Funny thing is, is that one of the ANC councillors in December 2022 mm -hmm. reported um, this issue to COCTA, um, which is the provincial government department that plays some oversight over local government. Uh, they came, they asked for the documents, we gave them to them, we never heard back from them. A year later, after I'm announced as Premier, then suddenly they, they're interested again. They came huh. back to us to ask for the same documents. We said, we sent these to you about nine months ago. Wow, And you never said anything to us. So, okay, yeah, uh, I'll so, wait for them, I'll wait for the outcome. Yeah, but, we wait and see. Yeah. What was it like to suddenly go from respectfully a small municipality in rural KZN is not the traditional headline header of South Africa, 
to being the top trend on Twitter. I call it Twitter because I'm an adult. Twitter for like um, two weeks and having all of these uh, different accusations flying back and forth. And it's not just about your work as mayor. It's also about your private life. What was that like? Yeah, it's a big jump. eh? Um, As you say, you're not used to that sort of... um I mean, the tension's always there, but it's it's not the scale. And the thing about social media in general is that people can say whatever they want, and then it becomes your burden to respond. Uh, whether it's just a, a simple question um, about what do you do as mayor or what is your vision for KZN to allegations like this. So it and there's this, this intensity. Um, so that that was new. Um, you know, did it cause anxiety? Did you could you sleep at night? It did cause a bit of anxiety. The 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 personal part of it, um, because it started to draw in people who had um, nothing to do with what I was trying to achieve. I mean, there was one. There was even one instance where uh, people who were volunteering at this particular festival were accused of benefiting luxury vehicles. I mean, it was complete nonsense. Um, my friend even <laughs> my friend made a bit of a, a, a meme of it. I guess a TikTok meme. Uh, she drives a Mahindra. So she went to a Mahindra and she's like, uh, the height of luxury, my Mahindra Bucky. And she was like, you made a bit of a joke of it. But they get drawn into it. So I, you know, I spend less time with my friends now because I don't want them to be in the firing line for stupid sure. things. Oh, okay, I went and had a beer with a mate. Uh, what's happening there? Are they colluding about how they're going to steal the next government tender? And okay. then you just bring people into that. So yeah, it, it becomes, become isolated, I guess. Sure. Um, when there's instance like that. I guess becoming a public figure is a part of that. So uh, I want to talk about uh, your run for premiership, but before then, uh, how you became the only Democratic Alliance mayor in the whole province. Uh, so you are very different in a bunch of ways. Firstly, firstly, you're almost hilariously young for a South African politician, for which it really is a pensioners club in a lot of political parties at the moment. Uh, secondly, uh, you are fluent Isuzulu speaking, uh, which... Maybe we would ideally in South Africa by 2023 not want to have as remarkable for white people, but it is. Uh, And thirdly, you are openly queer, you're openly gay. Uh, You're not the first person in South Africa to have a position of great prominence in in, uh, public politics. Uh, But all of these things make you very, very different. Uh, How did you get elected as mayor? What do you think about your pitch or your campaign was enticing enough to cause this political upset? It's actually quite crazy. And the population that elected me is 75% black South Africans. So like, like wow, he has a young, white, gay male. Um, yeah, it's quite crazy, actually. How did it happen? Um, so we decided to build a like a proverbial wall around our municipality in terms of the messaging. Um, because there's always so much noise out there. And it's and it's easy to get bogged down in everything. It's all, it's And it's always intense. And it's always so much. Um, so we said, well, it's a local government election and what is local about? Local is about your clean park. It's about your roads. It's about how do I keep my business open, street lights and things like that. So we really, really localized our campaign. Um, we were quite intimate with how we engaged with people. Um, it wasn't mass communication. It was small, intimate, ask your questions, um, to us as opposed to past us on social media or through a leaflet or on a billboard. Um, we kept the political noise out, um, spoke to the issues, and then we were also smart. We we leveraged the the weaknesses of our opposition. People were tired of 
the municipality abusing them insofar as you had to be connected to get a job or if you didn't know someone, your business proposal would be thrown under the table. So Was this an ANC-led municipality? Yes, yeah. Um, if you wanted to get hired, you you know, if you any job opportunity, you had to be a card-carrying member, those sorts of things. And was this a common knowledge? Was this your judgment on the way things were before you? It was... It was a reasonable assumption at the time, but now inside the municipality, in the system, it's sort of, you, it's, you can see that it was true. Um, I think there was, who was it? It was Andre Dureta in the one interview, and he was explaining what that mafia looks like inside of ESCOM. It's sort of similar in a municipality, but obviously much smaller and, and less money and less moving parts. Uh, and how systems and processes are taken over for some sort of alternative gain. Um Luckily, our municipality wasn't completely collapsed. Um, you know, we didn't get uh, nothing left. So at least we, could, we did have something to start with. Um, so when you got elected, did you go on a um, I spy tour of who you needed to remove from the municipality to make it more clean? Yes and no. Um, the the ch- change management is difficult. Um, generally, and when you're working as such a complex beast as a, as a municipality, it's it's political, but it's not. It's supposed to deliver, but it's not. It's like it's like the people's institution, really. It should be at least. Um, we did send a clear. We did a skills audit. We found that 32% of the officials were either unskilled or um, not qualified for their or inexperienced for their job, which is crazy because now you've got to try and make this thing work. Since we've taken government, we have fired eight people. Um, for issues related to manipulation of systems, giving people contracts that they shouldn't have, um, HR issues, you know, not following processes there and just putting people into positions. And does that fold over into court cases? Like if you've got hard evidence of such practice, does it end up in the legal system? No one, only one person's challenged us and that was the municipal manager. She refused to to leave. Um, We had to go to court to get her to step aside. Okay. Um, she now, ironically, is managing Bloom, Mangawung. Uh, so she got a promotion from collapsing this municipality to there. Um, everyone else, when you present them with the evidence, you say, well, we're going to start the disciplinary procedures now. Um, Unless you leave? How would you like to proceed? Oh, I see, I see, I see. Um, I mean, there's sort of an ethical compromise that you, you make because ideally you should follow it through. But as soon as you start, they leave and you've got this unfinished process um the ethical compromise being that you want to actually fix the system and get it working to be able to deliver to people sure. as opposed to spend endless amounts of resources time money on court yeah. cases and you know following those things and that's why i say you, you there is a balance that you have to strike okay and so then you were selected to be the <coughs> premier candidate for kuzuda natal which is extraordinary. And probably, look, I know the way that big political parties work. In general, the leadership is concretized around massive urban centers, massive cities. And that's very, very often, even if those aren't the most successful or popular leaders, those are the ones who get primal, primal lull, primacy positions. Yeah. Uh, so how did it happen for you? What do you think caused the Democratic Alliance to choose you to be their candidate for Kuzulu Natal? I think I I have the skills. Um, what kind of skills? 
you're asking me to like sell myself here and it's very difficult. Like I'm supposed to, I'm a politician, I'm supposed to sell myself. But oh yeah. Um, okay, oh, yeah. no, so. so Not sell, I, I'm trying to understand what happened. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so firstly, I'm the only political leader in KZN with experience in government, running a government. Because no one else has Because no one else has had that opportunity. Um, so here we're saying we want to take over government. Here's someone who's been in government and has done a reasonably good job over whatever it was, 22 months when, when I was announced. Um, so he has a credible candidate for for government. The second is um, the type of campaign that we want to run. Um, we want to appeal to a younger generation, but not just for the sake of having a young person, um, but to say young people can lead, young people can be given an opportunity and do well. And so that was a reason as well. Um, my ability to to communicate different different languages does help. Um, it breaks a barrier that exists in South Africa around trust. Um, yeah, there's actually a bunch of really interesting psychological research about how much more instantly trustworthy people find those who communicate to them in their home language, which is quite interesting. Yeah, and um, it's the the I think it's probably around empathy. Um, you can understand someone without a translation, which 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 really does help. Um, the the ANC is scared of my profile. Um, and it forces them to make decisions that they don't want to make, um, which always is good in politics. Can I have an example? Um, so let me use both the IFP and the ANC in this example. So traditionally, those two organizations don't name a premier candidate. They don't campaign with a premier candidate. They wait for the end of the election, and then they, those who are elected then choose yeah, you their vote candidate. for the party. Yeah. yeah. They're now being forced to consider, and the IFP revealed this last week publicly, that they're being forced to consider changing the way that they've traditionally done things because otherwise it seems as if they're endorsing me. That's interesting. So you change the political the the political Best landscape. practices, yeah, yeah, sure. Okay. And then, I mean, simple practical things. So the municipality next door, um, Sunduzi, Peter Maritzburg, the capital, um, they never used to communicate um, on social media. In general, the mayor was never available, never at public meetings, but... Over the last 15, 18 months, they've started to replicate what we're doing and other municipalities are doing the same. So if we do well or we just do what they're doing in the Western Cape, we just take a different model of government, it forces them to change. And when they're changing, it means they're trying to keep up, Okay. which is which is a good thing. It means we're forcing them to do something that they're not used to, which means that they make mistakes, mm. which means that they are trying to compete with us as opposed to us with them public so records uh, public records are also super interesting because as soon as i mean we know that our president doesn't take questions from the media for example uh and that's because every single time you say something in public it becomes on the record whether to a journalist or in a tweet as a statement that you can then be held accountable to and we, that's what we're supposed to be we're supposed to be held accountable as politicians um so sorry when you mention uh cape town uh, do you specifically mean jordan hill lewis's mayorship I think just just the I mean over time. Um, so Cape Town started um, under Helen, um, under a, a coalition, and Helen and Patricia and 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 to where where Jordan is now. So I think I'm rather speaking about the the type of government that we run, uh, where it's more about are you fit for service? Um, how do we increase the amount of services to the poor, sort of visibly? You know, the water, electricity, things like that. Um, the accessibility. Um, Jordan's taken it to the next level, which is great um, in terms of accessibility and accountability, transparency, showing you what government is, is about. That's something it's, I've almost found that the ANC uses information as a weapon or a tool. 
So the only way that you as a citizen can access information or, or get some sort of progress or get feedback is through your ward councillor or through a politician. Whereas the law says that this information is freely available. So you use information as a tool or, or a, a gateway uh, to block people out. Um, whereas it should be completely different. Empower people to make the decision themselves or selves. Um, and then you must be the enabler as government. For sure. So I think that you know, it's those sort of differences that okay. we have. The, the system of cater deployment. Whereas there's a deliberate selection of people based on party affiliation and gone through an internal party process, we say apply for the job. The DA is not going to scrutinize you before you get there. You must have the skills and qualifications when you get to the interview. My municipal manager, for example, um, Mr. Flober. Mr. Flober, his whole life has been an ANC man. Um, Card-carrying member before and all of those sorts of things. And uh, when we interviewed him and when we sat down with all the other candidates i didn't say are you a da person have you gone through some sort of da screening process i said here's your qualifications are you fit for purpose can you do the job and it's that's the sort of difference um so it's those differences that you do in government hiring sure uh, we we there's sometimes three and six month uh, temporary um, opportunities that come along for different projects so how we do it is that we, if, if you're interested um, anyone in the area, a certain geographic uh, radius, comes there, puts their CV in a in a box or a container, and we ask a member, random member of public to select 10, 15, 20 names, however many people we need for that particular project, usually unskilled labor. Sure. As opposed to, okay, who's Dan's friend? Yeah, who's Chris's mate? Okay. There's no transparent process, and we just put their names through on the side. I hear you. Those differences. Okay. And when you do that, you force, I mean, it's something simple, Dan, like we, we bought a tractor. Yeah with a, uh, a disc uh -huh. so that we could help emerging farmers. Now, for the last six months, I've seen different municipalities buying tractors, buying tractors to do the same thing, which That's is good. So we're forcing them to, to move in a certain direction. Sure. So uh, I hear everything that you're saying. Uh, none of what I'm about to say is my opinion, although you're welcome to disagree with me. I think the Democratic Alliance has a fundamental narrative crisis in South Africa, where particularly since 2019, but there's been this deluge of high-profile people leaving the Democratic Alliance, and it's not just Musi Maimane, it far predates him. Many of them are black, and many of them leave the Democratic Alliance with sometimes more than a wink and a nudge saying this isn't a space for black South Africans. And this, this point is actually nothing about your race either. I think it's a general thing where there's a radical distrust of the Democratic Alliance from the vast majority of black South Africans, and it's got worse. And in the last handful of years, whether one disagrees with it or not, the DA has championed uh, minority groups when those groups are in opposition against some black South mm. Africans. So I'm not saying that black South Africans versus Indian South Africans mm. is a crisis, but the riots in KZN got unbelievably ugly, unbelievably quickly and took on a race dynamic. So there's this trust crisis and you now moving from local government to a campaign to be premier in a province where the DA has felt very irrelevant for a long time because you guys aren't actually third, I think. I think meaningfully the the challenges right now are ANC versus IFP slash EFF across the province. You're bigger than the EFF. You're bigger. Okay, that's interesting. But the EFF has been getting stronger in different municipalities. You've grown in every election in KZN. You've grown in every election in KZN since what date? Since, since time immemorial. Yeah. Okay, cool. So thank you for that. What does the DA need to do now to convince black South Africans, both in KZN and beyond, that <clears throat> it's not a regressive party that kind of holds on to minority, particularly white interests? Cool. So I think firstly is we... Just generally, the public narrative is that the DA loses lots of black leaders. Firstly, what, who, who and what is a black leader? 
Um, I mean, my crew, the, the, my campaign team are all black leaders. My deputy mayor is a black leader. Our spokesperson is a black leader. So we focus on those who have a title and leave as opposed to those who are still within the organization. And there's a lot of really good leaders who happen to be black. But the only thing I'll say about that is that people engage with political parties through their faces. Yes, yeah. So, no, okay, I'll get to that. Let me answer the question first. Um, The second part is is the focus on black leaders. There have been a lot of white leaders who've left the DA as well. Um, Paul Bowie, um, Kutsia, there's a few, Athol Trollope, all for the same reasons that the black people claimed that they also left. So it's just to put into perspective. Um, and it's sorry, usually, it's sorry, usually interpersonal issues. Yes, but just on the claim bit, yeah. um, I'm not sure that white leaders um, have left the DA with the common refrain of, it's because there's no space for black leaders in the Democratic Alliance. Some have, some have, um, some have said that. Uh, and that's why I say it's a common it's a common narrative. It's like people leave the ANC and they'll say it's corrupt. Um, but do you sometimes think that these DA leaders are right? I'm just focusing on the word claim because it yeah, sounds yeah, yeah. a little bit unstable. It sounds like, oh, they, they, they say this, it's a claim. You know what I'm saying? So I think that, I mean, there, there's, what we're trying to achieve is trying to make a really diverse organization. And in doing so, you're never going to try, you're never going to please everyone, right? Um claim is well what are you basing your what are you basing your your justification on your decision on and i always use that like it's easier easier to use a visual example so if you go to say for example a da congress you'll see everyone there and the vast majority of those people will not be white at a da congress that's our internal organizer and those are the people that make decisions about the da if you go to a anc it'll be all black if you go to a Freedom Front, it'll be all white, etc. So our project is to build something that looks more like South Africa. And generally in South Africa, the discussion around race is really difficult. People, are, we're always fighting about it in South Africa. So that that's always going to be a claim that when you try and have discussions about should we base policies on race or not, then some people will say, because we don't want to base things on race, therefore I don't find expression. I think that's an ideological difference as opposed to a... Um, a hard line on on black or not black leaders. Okay. Um, and that comes down to a fundamental thing. Do you believe in non-racialism or do you believe in multiracialism? Non-racialism saying that, Dan, you are white, you do not represent all white people. Um, Sakile, you are black, you do not represent all black people. Dan, you represent Dan. Um, Sakile, you represent Sakile. Your race does not define you. Uh, and therefore, our policies in government should not be race-based because that does not define you. You're talking about affirmative action? Just generally. Generally, okay. it can be, can, oh, I saw something the other day, it was about farmers. Farmers are, can't export or, and it, there's always something that has, that's, that's a conversation around race. The, the thing that you mentioned that is, that is sort of more important is the issue of trust because politics is about trust and perception. So we have to build trust amongst amongst voters, and that's that's always difficult, specifically when the narrative about us is against us, and it's based on a hist- historical grounding, I guess, if that's what that's where it comes from. So that's our our difficulty is to build that trust. Uh, I had a young guy stop me in the airport yesterday, a young black guy, he must have been like twenty six, twenty seven, and he says, "Chris, I'm I'm really nervous about the elections." And I said, "Oh, what's nervous?" He says. Well, um, I know I can't vote for the ANC, but I'm unsure about the DA. And I said, what are you unsure about? And a lot of the things he spoke about were things that were were actually not true. 
In other words, the DA is is mainly a white party. And I use the example of when you come to our congresses, you'll see that it's actually not. You can't have an organization of 4 million votes in South Africa and not have um, a solid grounding of, People of black of color. Exactly. Sure. So re- realistically or rationally, if you look at the maths of it, which is not politics, politics is about emotion. The math says that the DA is the most diverse organization. And in some provinces, we have more black voters than than white voters. Uh, Our membership is far more black people than it is white people. Um, And that's just the reality of the organization. But when you are a threat to people because you're able to speak to multiple groups. So if I'm the, I don't know, the Patriotic Alliance, I'm going to go out and canvas colored voters. I don't care what I say about white voters or black voters. That is my target market. So I just speak to them. Um, the same with maybe the EFF. So I'm going to go out to speak to black voters. So I don't care if I hurt white people's feelings or step on their toes. That's what I'm going to speak to. We have a different path as as the DA. We're trying to say, okay, great. I'm not going to win over an, a really radical EFF guy. That's not my aim. Neither I'm going to try to win over a really radical Freedom Front guy who, and they believe in polar opposites of what the country should look like. I'm looking for the 30 or 35% in the middle who say, sure. You know, it's actually not about my race, it's about my ability, it's about my access to opportunities. Um, and that's what we, we are looking for. Um, okay. And that's not everyone. And it's not, you know, some people want us to have hardcore racial policies. Sure. The, the, other, the, other, question, the other sort of point to that is a lot of the people who have left, not all, um, a lot of the people who have left, specifically black leaders, mm-hmm. never grew, grew up through the organization. And you mentioned it, 29, you mentioned a period around 2019. The DA reached a, a stage where we were like, okay, well, we've got to 20% of the vote now. What, what does the future look like what for the organization? What, sure. do, what do we do next? It was a bit of an identity crisis where we, where we played around in a space that was not ours to play, and that is racial politics. Mm. To say, let us go to this particular town, say one thing, go to a different township, say a different thing, and, it, and like, you know, d- how is this the same organization? Who made that decision? Political strategies made by party leaders. Okay. Um, usually, the, it's usually the chairperson and the party leader. Ones who are still in the DA or have left? No, people who have left. Okay. Um, so, I mean, I was an activist at the time, and you sort of get different messages every day. There's different controversies in the news. You never know where you are. So we went through a bit of an identity crisis. Um, but since then, we've said, well, okay, let's not play in the racial space that the EFF loves to play in and, you know, parties like Good and these other organizations. Let us play in the space that we know. The space that we know is that we want to be a non-racial country. We want to believe in constitutionalism and all the things that, that fall under there and all the rest of the principles that we believe in. But we also want to play in a space that is ours. Mm-hmm. Um, let's, let light-minded, rational, centrist South Africans find a home with us to have difficult conversations where we need to have difficult conversations, but not to be polarized by the fact as arbitrary as skin color. Sure. Um, and that's, I think we've, since 2019, we've managed to do that. We've managed to say, let's find what center South Africa looks like. Sure. And yes, some of those people are white and some of them are black and colored and Indian. Um, some are rural, some are urban, and that's what we need to find. So how do you win the premiership in Guzulu Natal? Because that would be unprecedented for the Democratic Alliance. Uh, and uh, as as you've described, it's it feels like IFP, ANC territory forever. Like, I mean, it was IFP territory, the province, until mm. Zuma dragged millions of Zulu people to vote for the ANC. And since then, a lot of, I think, Ramaphosa's fundamental fear anxieties, which is why he handles Zuma so, let's just say, gently, uh, is because he's trying to preserve as many voters as possible as the IFP in many different municipalities surges. How does the DA get into that conversation with you as a premiership candidate? 
So I think we're not naive. We're not going to win 50% of the vote. We, we know that and we're not going to go out and lie to people and say that. But we also... Sorry, what's the best the DA has ever done provincially? In KZN was 13%. Okay, so you've got a long way to go. Sure. We've got a long way to go. And that's why we say... It, and But even the, the IFP and the, the ANC has only been the only organization that's had that. We've had... IFP even had um, coalitions back in the day. So what we're saying is that we have to bring the ANC below 50% and then form that coalition. Yeah, that coalition. Now that coalition is either um, us who lead it or the IFP who lead it. The polls currently have us anywhere between 17 and 21%, um, which is great. Um, we've shown we've grown, and I said we've grown in every election in, in KZN. So we have to center ourselves either as the leader in a majority, I mean, in a, in a coalition, or as a, a credible partner in a coalition with someone like the IFP, which we've been working towards in, in different municipalities. Have you guys, yeah, you guys are in local coalition already, aren't you? Yeah, we have, we, we established the first in the country. It is getting hot, goodness. Take it off. No, 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 leave it, it's actually it's cool. No, 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 um, I know it's got a fleece lining. The, the, <laughs> you can take um, it off, I'm wearing three. What is this thing called? We call it the service level agreement. Uh, where they are, we keep them in government, but we recognize that we still have to hold them accountable. Sure. Um, and what the service level agreement does, um, service delivery agreement does, is to say, okay, IFP, we've given you the municipality through our our votes, but that does mean you, you get away scot-free. If there's no water, well, these are what, this is the minimum that we expect. There must be water, there must be electricity, the roads must be fixed, the rubbish must be collected, et cetera, et cetera. And has that worked? It is. Um, I mean, if you look at a couple of examples, Richards Bay, this is from Flatuze, which is the, the third biggest city in um, KZN. There's some significant progress being made there in infrastructure, specifically electricity and roads, which are critical to that. It's an industry. It's a port city. So that's a coalition with IFP majority, eh? Yeah. Okay. Um, and and we, have the, we have the deputy mayorship there. It's the only other municipality where we have a position. Um, all the other municipalities, we say, carry on we ask for one position and that is what's called impact impact is municipal public accounts committee mm. that is who does oversight over irregular wasteful and fruitful expend expenditure so yeah it's to say okay well how do we make this thing work before um the, the national elections and the provincial elections how do we if we have a rogue if the ifp has a rogue councillor who's doing something wrong in a municipality and we find that out how do we tackle that issue without creating conflict between the organizations um and the same, if there's corruption or if there's under-expenditure or poor service delivery, how do we deal with that issue as as partners in government as opposed to um, just opposition parties? Okay. And, yeah, I mean, it has its ups and downs. And every now and again you get a, a rogue mayor doing something crazy and you've got to deal with it and, you know, you've got to balance the, the politics. Yeah, also South African politicians have really learned slowly how to do coalitions across the country. I yeah. think we in Gauteng have had it the worst. But, but uh, so many parties here. Yeah, and um, so many Everyone of them, wakes up tomorrow and like has a political party, you know? Yeah, I, I think that still nobody knows much about who Al Jamar is, but we've had two of their mayors, so life goes on. Uh, so uh, right now, Chris Pappas, let's say the DA tracks to 20% under your premier campaign, campaign for premiership, uh, and the IFP gets 31% for a technical um, coalition. What, what are the... How do you see the likelihood of that right now? Would you say that you're fairly confident that the ANC will be deposed by an IFPDA coalition come 2024 in KwaZulu-Natal? If we had an election tomorrow, uh -huh. then yes. What's the IFP's current polling? So 
the last, I think it was the the last independent polls because we got our internal and then we got independent. So the independent, I think there was um, Social Research Foundation that had, um, it was 44 to the DAIFP. Okay. Um, and 44, I think it was 45 okay. to the ANC um, EFF. Oh, a hypothetical coalition there. Okay. Hypothetical as well. Um, all, all the polls have the ANC under 50%. Right. There's no poll that has the ANC above 50%. So it's just what their coalition would look like. Their relationship with EFF is not working so lacquer, but just assume. Because there's no space for the FF and you on the IFP's coalition. No. Okay. Um, would you take minority, uh, sorry, would you take opposition over a majority with the IFP and the EFF? Yes. Okay. Um, we, we, you, you can't work with someone who's ideologically dissimilar. Yes. Yeah. And or polar opposites. Yeah. We like polar opposites. And also the fundamental mechanisms of delivery and government are different. Okay. The IFP wants, I'm not the IFP, the EFF wants state control, state power, centralization. I see. We want free market economy, power to the people, um, state devolved down as low as possible. So, I mean, there's some fundamental property rights. We believe in property rights. They want expropriation. I mean, some very fundamental differences. You won't, won't make it work. Um, so the polls have there, and then the rest of the, the smaller organizations are at about 2 or 3%. Um, I seem to pick up a few. So yeah, you can pick up someone like a uh, in case I think at the moment the ACDP for example has one seat. Right. Um, you bring the ACDP on the board, and that forms part of the the national multi-party charter. Then you have a coalition government. Um, so yeah, I mean it's very it's very possible. So uh, if the IFP gets twenty four, and the DA gets twenty, and you guys find one or two smaller parties to make a coalition with. Uh, will you demand, not you, shame, I'm not making this personal, but like will the DA push for you to be the premier or will you have a some kind of deputy or influential position under an IFP premier? Well, we'll negotiate afterwards. Um, usually the bigger party gets the, the premiership, but we also, it depends. I mean, we not we might not we might say we don't want any um, MECs, which are provincial ministers. We don't want any of those. We would rather have the speaker of, of the legislature sure. and all the chairpersons of the committees. Therefore, you can take government and we'll take the oversight. I hear you. Um, so it just depends on what, that, what the results are in the end. Um, what you don't want to do is set yourself up for failure. So if you have a... Um, you know, a rogue, I'm just making an example, a rogue IFP premier who just goes off the rails. Then you're attached to them because you're... You don't in, want to be complicit. Exactly. Yeah. So sure. they have to, they, you know, who are they putting forward? What are their main objectives? Can we agree that this is the how we're going to achieve things? Okay, no, you guys stay executive, we'll be legislature. So yeah, it's it's better to discuss afterwards, but safe to say that there will be leadership from both sides in there. Sure. Okay, Chris Pappas, thank you so much for your time. I have one final question. Assuming you guys get into office uh, as a coalition uh, with the IFP and others, KZN for me, I mean, I work on a national radio station, so we get the national news. And every time KZN is in the news, it's like God cursed the place. It's like endless crises, floods, 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 uh, horrible outbreaks of this and dysfunctionality of that and towns going bankrupt and healthcare systems collapsing and education is rubbish. What's like the top five priority list for your coalition government, assuming you win? Infrastructure, specifically okay. water. Sounds expensive. We have it's a lot of pipes. We have a crisis. You'd think load shedding's bad. Come to KZN and look at the water and sanitation. Um, cholera outbreaks and things like that are real. 
Um, so infrastructure, particularly water and sanitation, um, unemployment, uh, but that's really like multifaceted. So our small towns are, are dysfunctional. So no tourists go to them anymore. And we have mm. such beautiful places in KZN. So if your roads get to the small towns and when you get to the small towns, there's water and electricity, slowly you can regrow the economy. Sure. Um, your sawmills can start working again, your you know your dairy factory and all these things that used to work in the, those areas. So infrastructure, unemployment, um, and then uh, our, our education system. Mm-hmm. Because we are such a big province, uh, we have a lot of schools and a lot of them are rural and they have really, really been left behind. Um, I mean, toilets are, are just one issue that often comes up. But It blows my mind that that's still a thing. I mean, and it's it's, it's crazy. Um, I was looking at, at numbers the other day and someone, I think it was, they spent 28 million rand or they wanted to spend 28 million rand on the Samas. Mm. Um, and that was coming from the provincial government. Meanwhile, many of our schools don't have flashing toilets or toilets at all. And also, sorry, I, I like, I just remembered another story. KZN is always in the national news for a crisis. There was a story of like the government, uh, the local government in one municipality, not yours, um, just uh, needed to, decided to build new toilets and they built 15 on one home for no reason that anybody... And there was a call center. And then, for- and, and then we went and asked, well, not we, but like the nation was like, what the hell? And they and they couldn't say it was it was staggering because even on a level of corruption, I struggle to understand how a corrupt politician can benefit from fifteen toilets on, on, on like one. I don't know. Anyway, okay. And someone else opened a dirt road. Did they? Someone opened a dirt road for however many millions, wow. and they did like a ribbon cutting on the dirt road. It was quite Epic. interesting. Okay, so unemployment, education, and infrastructure. Yeah, um, but there's there's, I mean, we we know what the big problems are, as you said, but there's small issues within the province that, that would make a difference. So small towns um, and secondary cities, there's a huge influx to places like Durban, Peter Maritzburg, Richards Bay, those cities can't cope. So we need to fix the outerlying areas so that they actually become economically viable. Um, issues around um, the rent, renting of informal houses. So in informal settlements, people are paying rent to people who don't own the land in the first place. So to get rid of, or to at least fight back against that, to say, well, you earn so little, you're living in an informal settlement, why are you paying a rent and to who? Mm-hmm. Um, so there's issues within issues um, that we need to to look at with in KZN. Mm-hmm. Housing, huge issue. Um, how do you deal with that? We can't carry on with the same model that we've been going on with. So what, what, is the, what does a sustainable model of housing look like? Um, drugs, we haven't got, we've got two two rehab facilities in the whole province. Wow. Um, state rehab facilities. Oh, that's bad. So you can't even begin, you know, you can find someone a job, you say, cool, there's a job secured for you, but we need to get you off the stuff first. Um, sure. Where do you go? Okay. So there's, there's really like... And the, and all of this is eminently doable through like a local government, or sorry, a, a provincial government intervention. Yeah. Okay. Um, it's That's the competencies. The biggest competencies are health and education. Right. Um, it is your social services, economic development, and, and transport. Mm, okay. So your outlying roads, um, fixing fixing those. Okay, well, Chris Papas, uh, next year uh, you might uh, rise to even more significant levels of national attention. Thank you so much for the interview. Thank you, it was great. 
So that was the exclusive interview with Chris Papas. Thank you so much for listening. I so appreciate your kind attention. Please let us know what you thought of the interview of Papas, even of me. I love some good or rough feedback on any social media platforms. You can search us. It's the issue with Dan Corder. We're easy to find. One more reminder, you can watch this interview. The video version of every single episode of The Issue is up on YouTube. Just search for the channel. It's The Issue with Dan Corder again. And if you have a second and haven't done so yet, please just click follow or subscribe on whatever platform you're listening from. It really makes a difference to us. New episode of The Issue with Dan Corder comes out every single week. So we'll see you in a week. Thank you so much for listening.